0: This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Ramiro Barrera-Palma. You should also check out Love in the Time of Cholera. He wrote that as well. Excellent book. In any case, because he is a beloved spoilerite, this one goes out to him.
1: The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later.
2: I'm Matthew I'm Rodrigo
3: And I'm Steven And you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast The podcast for pop culture and comic fans
0: In this issue Superman or Batman? Lex Luthor or Monterey Jack? Barry Allen or Steve Allen? Alan Sherman or Bobby Sherman? Sherman Helmsley or Peabody's Boy Sherman? The Peabody Institute or the Institute for Yahtzee Studies? Yahtzee or Yahoo Serious, Serious Black or Black Tom Cassidy? Sean Cassidy or Cassidy Yates? Yates McFadden or Todd McFarlane? snow or Snow-mageddon? And... What is the mysterious presence in the swamps of Louisiana? A mock-encrusted mockery of a man. What stalks the bayou? I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you this. It's not a Phyrexian, because I don't know what a Phyrexian is, but Rodrigo does, and that makes all the difference in the world. Let's slap leather and ride for the hills. Regulators, mount up! The Major Spoilers Podcast is following Charlie Sheen to rehab. (laughs)
3: Hey everyone! Welcome to this week's episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad to have you Yay! here with us this week.
2: Hello! There's, welcome to the show. There's definitely somebody in the future listening to this show, being like, "Wow, this is this is really topical, you guys."
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, people like it when you're topical. Yeah.
3: And uh, no comment. Uh, How about
0: anyway. them huskers?
3: Anyway, 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 hey, anyway, we- got a lot of news this week. Besides that, are you really going to tell
0: me this is the last time Sheen goes to rehab?
2: Uh, I'm I'm saying any time he goes to rehab, maybe the last time he goes to rehab. Not necessarily (laughs) because he's going to get cured. Right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Charlie.
4: Hello, future people.
3: (laughs) Yes, future people. Please please take your time machine and and, uh, send us a letter and tell us when uh, Charlie Sheen kicks the bucket. News items this week not related to Two
0: and a Half Men or Charlie Sheen or prostitutes and hookers in Vegas. I once saw Two and a Half Men, but it was after a terrible car accident, (laughs) of which the least said the better. (laughs)
3: Hey, how about that Wheel of Fortune? (laughs) Who are the mystery men? D&D fortune cards are going to come out in February. (laughs) New Thundercats get a new look. Dark Horse Digital Comics Initiative stalls. Superman finally finds his Clark Kent. Or Flashpoint is huge. Spin that wheel of destiny. Find out where we where we land. So many news items. Only have time to talk with one. Talk about one. Something like that. Oh, new Thundercats new look. Snarf snarf
2: snarf. New Thundercats new look. Snarf snarf. You <laughs> did not have any of the nice millet seed. Yum yum.
0: It sounds even better if you actually imagine it with uh with Bill Plimpton saying, New Thundercats, new look, snuff, snuff. <laughs> this week on Major Spoilers Theatre. This this is what the show would be like if we were on National Public Radio. Yeah. <laughs> the Thundercats have a new look. Rodrigo.
2: I gotta tell you, Matthew, I, I, dis- I disagree with what you've been saying, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and up next, the Rolling Stones rock and roll quintet with Jumping Jack Flash in B-flat minor.
3: Lots of different uh, Thundercat versions uh, out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one from back when uh, Matthew and I thunder, were in college thunder, and Rodrigo thunder, was still toddling thunder. around was the one that probably most sure people it know about. i was
0: high school. I think it was like 85. Probably something like that. Thunder,
2: thunder, thunder.
3: Rodrigo, what's up with the Thundercats? What are they? First of all, are they cats that make
2: thunder? Uh, no. The, the Thundercats <laughs> are a, um, group that they're just a people from this planet called Thundera, where everybody is kind of uh, a person that is vaguely cat-like. Because really, if you look at the anthropomorphizing scale, the Thundercats are really pretty Way much humanoid. The right? Yeah, they have pointy um, ears though, and have pointy ears, and 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 you know their their fingers come to a point, which I believe is she supposed to be has
0: lost. Eight nipples, so yeah, no, that's <laughs> hot. Um <laughs> Well, if you check the internet, I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm sure. And don't they have
3: a oh. uh, a bunch of machines that transform into a giant fighting robot?
0: Ah, uh, they know. do not. They oh. have warriors with wheels on them. Ah, and then okay. Each one has a special mask that they put on that has a power.
2: All, also, now, no, no? Um, nor nor do they each isn't represent the, the branch of, them, of the military.
3: Isn't one? Of, this is the one where one of them raises a sword sword high in the air and says, "I have the power."
0: That's the one. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's the one where they're real American heroes, only they're Thunderican heroes. Man, the 80s were so warped
3: when it came to cartoons. Why do people care about the Thundercats today?
2: Thunder, thunder, thunder! Well, they kind of don't, really. (laughs) Um, People people who care about the Thundercats today are people who were into them when they first came out. So people my age and maybe a little older. But really, they kind of have to be my age. Because if you were older and you were watching Thundercats, (laughs) like, the Thundercats was pretty bad. I mean, it was pretty bad. The cartoon itself was pretty bad. It was awesome. Uh-huh. Like, the, the concepts were cool and the characters were cool, but the plot lines were pretty dumb. Right. A lot of the time, like, there was this overarching plot line that was interesting, but the individual episodes were sometimes so boring and dumb. I don't know. Anyway, I still really liked them as a kid. Well, I think and now,
3: lino is lino, uh, you know, had a, a very unique look. And a lot of people yeah. like that. A lot of people still dress up as, as Lino yeah. at conventions. I'm not really familiar friend, with the rest
0: of them. Pantera, I think, was uh, the one guy's name. No. And he played the electric guitar. <laughs> Panthra, Panthro, Panthra, Panthro. Panthro.
2: Well, Warner Brothers. And Ty- is...
0: Tigro, Tigra.
2: Tigra, yep. Tigra.
3: Okay. Uh, Warner Brothers is set to release a new animated series very soon. And Toy Fair is coming up this week in New York City and... Photos are leaking left and right. One of them came out of uh, out of Tokyo, and finally Warner Brothers said, Okay, here's your new look of the Thundercats. And
0: wow. Here's what I want to know. When they say Thundercats Ho, which one is the Ho? <laughs> well, there's only. Tigra? Well. No, Tigra was the boy.
2: <laughs> oh. Well, Tigra, Tigra's the, the like, one. Yeah. You, you could assume that it's Shitara because she's the only girl. Well,. There's one other one, which he's underage. But really, if you look at the way that Panthro dresses, that's I think true. That's, that would go to him.
0: Panthro dresses <laughs> like, like Tyrock, sort of a, a cross between Samuel L. Jackson and someone in a Broadway play, I
2: think. And now, now this, this new look has a lot more clothes on the Thundercats because they were kind of super naked before. They're cats. Cats don't wear pants. My cat oh. does.
5: your cat does
2: I don't
0: consider you tying a bag to the cat's ass to be a cat wearing pants Stephen. and by the way I still think that's cruel
3: she does a little dance
2: it's not a dance she's trying to get it off
0: trying to get the thing
2: off Put a This, is, hat a, on her this head. is
0: why I tell you to stop duct-taping things to the boy, too. I, I, wrote a,
2: I wrote a song to go with my it. cat's <laughs> dance. Spin around, claw at the air. Spin around, claw at the air. <laughs> wrote a song, like a hit, here it goes.
3: <laughs> back to to Thundercats. Back There's a whole new look to these Thundercats, Rodrigo. They, Thunder. look, very, Thunder. they look very anime.
2: Uh, that's You know, I keep hearing that, and yeah, they do have a definite anime look, but if you look at the original Thundercats, they also kind of had an anime look. They
0: really did. They had a kind of a Voltron. And, mm-hmm. and at the time, you know, Voltron was big. Battle of the Planets had been around for a while. You know, the first, the real first wave of, of anime stuff that I'm at least familiar with that wasn't like Speed Racer and Astro Boy came around that time. And I, for a long time, you know, I, I we were talking the build-up to the show. I don't know um, nothing about Thundercats. I know a little bit. I've seen, like, half an episode where Lionel was, like, fighting for the sword of, of something and trying oh, to become the, the leader of the Thundercats. And mm-hmm. their villain was, like, Cobra Commander, only not. But, you know, when you look at the original series, and then I look at these pictures, again, I'm looking with an untrained eye. I don't see any really huge transitional things. Other than,
2: I don't remember if Tigra had Wolverine hair in the 80s or not. He did, actually. I mean, that is what his hair looked like. These okay. characters are very similar. They're, so, so, certain things are emphasized. Like I said, they're wearing more clothes because they just kind of yeah. have like these very sheer, like same color as their skin colored outfits a lot of the time. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I think that the Thundercats, first off, were created to sell toys like every cartoon in the eighties. Of course. And that's what this one's going to be. So feeling that, like feeling violated by this new version of the Thundercats is kind of weird since, you know, you were violated a lot as a child. That's the thing.
0: Your childhood was probably asking for it, but exactly. The (laughs) the major thing that I'm seeing in the images that I've seen when they say, this looks like anime. All that I really see is Lion O has Super Saiyan hair. Yep. And, and that, the that other, I think is a negative thing for, mo- for some people.
2: I think the other thing that people are focusing on is that Lionel looks like a kid, but in the, in the Thundercats, in the story, Lionel is a kid and he gets aged artificially, um, when they escape their planet. So he wakes up as a 20 year old guy, even though he's a 13 year old boy. Yeah. Um. And I'm wondering if this new version, they're just going to pass on that and have him be, you know, basically split the difference and have him be 16 and say, well, your lineage is the one that has to rule the thundercats. So here's a tiny knife. Get cracking. Get cracking. Now,
0: um, looking at the image of the, you know, the new cats, did Chitara always have a balcony you could do Shakespeare off? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. That always
0: fascinates me about, about eighties you know, cartoons is you have that moment where all of a sudden there's lady J and she's showing a little bit more cleavage than I remember her in like 1984. But you're just like, wow, my childhood uh, really was
2: asking for it. how come the
3: nunchuck cat looks like jet from uh, cowboy bebop?
2: Um, I would imagine because the people who are designing these guys really like cowboy bebop. And furthermore, because now that I think of it, Jet kind of looks a lot like old school Panther. I mean, he's like, he's the big, he's the big smart guy. You and, know, Panther, um, Panther was cool in that he was really big and really strong, but also he was the smart one. Um, and that's kind of what Jet's got going on. So I'm not, I'm not really surprised that they've kind of, uh, given him a Jet-like look.
0: Well, considering that the original Thundercats designs predate Cowboy Bebop by three or four years. Oh, yeah. I would say that maybe it's a question of spiraling influences.
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: Diagonal says, I actually like the designs better for the most part. Chatera and Tigra look cool. Panthera looks badass. Lion-O is okay, but I'm not fond of his face. Can't wait to see Mumra. Also, I hope (laughs) there's no snarf. Oh, there is actually a snarf. Another image that was released today was a snarf. It's part of the packaging. I guess the figure will come with the uh, tiger tank. Um, and we'll learn again more about this as we go on. A lot of people commenting in the uh, yeah. more information
2: on the refugees from Thundera as it develops. <laughs> Please yes.
0: stay tuned to Spalers Public Radio. And now and here's now, Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Auto Disaster. We'll look at the coming snow apocalypse with his weather report.
3: Ah, snow apocalypse. We didn't get it's cold. Thought. It's cold, that's all I know.
0: <laughs> it's cold! I saw a fish!
3: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanted to talk today about the uh, Dark Horse Digital Comics Initiative, but we'll probably find out more about well, that as the week goes on. When do you to talk
0: about digital comics?
3: Hey, speaking of, over at the Major Spoilers website this past weekend, yes. we're now almost a year into digital comics on a mobile device like the iPad. It's time now to step it up a notch. And so I've got seven suggestions for the digital comics and publishing industries to stimulate digital comics growth. You can read that over there at Major Spoilers. We've also got a bunch of game reviews. You ha- if you haven't noticed, a lot of people have been asking for us to do more game reviews. We've got a new look at the new Magic the Gathering set that's out. They uh, Wizards of the Coast sent us uh, a set early. I mean, it's like two days before release, and I came home, and there it was sitting on the porch, and I was like... I have no interest in Magic the Gathering. I'm throwing these out. And then Rodrigo's conic- conniption uh, fit uh, shattered me back into reality. Rodrigo's so. kniggets. Yes.
0: Yeah. You yeah. made Rodrigo. They're two-two. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were a tutu.
3: And also, don't forget, there's a great retro review up on the site this week. (laughs) Remember, kids,
0: it's (laughs) (laughs) douche-tastic. I don't know who came up with that, but whoever it was, you, my friend, are a friend of the Major Spoilers (laughs) podcast.
3: (laughs) Okay. All right, everybody, stick around. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about reviews and get to our poll of the week.
1: (laughs) How to get a Major Spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax, and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 20 Six
3: thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that uh, that contribution. And if you'd like to contribute, like the man said, just head over to the Majorspoilers.com website, click on that Make a Donation button, and you'll get your name read out eventually. i got an email (laughs) here from David. He says, Dear Major Spoilers, thank you so much for clarifying my confusion regarding Superman 85 and the Toy Man question I sent you uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I I haven't had a chance to track down Superman 85 down yet, but I've started picking up comics more regularly regularly from my border store and from the comic shop across town from work. I know you guys have reviewed Lock and Key and Chew, but do you guys read any other horror comics? I have a stack of about 18 horror comics in my collection. You guys read horror comics?
0: Oh, yeah. What do you read? All the time. Well, you see, again, this is another one of those things where you'll ask a simple question and I'll go like, In 1976... Um, One of the holy grails of my collection is to try and get a complete run of the Gold Key uh, slash Dell Twilight Zone uh, oh, yeah. comics from about 1961. They ran from 61 to like 82. So there's literally like 95 issues of this thing. But one of the first comics that I ever really loved was a DC horror anthology from the 80s called Wasteland. Mm-hmm. Which led me to look into things like um, the old school EC comics from the 50s. Vault of Horror is absolutely amazing. Crypt of Terror. Some of those old stories will, forgive me for the adult tag, they'll knock your dick in the dirt. These are amazing, amazing tales. Um, 70s Marvel stuff, Ghost Rider uh, Tales of the Zombie for a more, you know, particular horror experience. One book that I really love that nobody's ever heard of and they mock me every time I ask. DC had an anthology called Plop back in the day. Nice. Had a lot of work by Sergio Aragones. It was, um, Basil Wolverton, the guy who did the really ugly girls. Some of his last work, I think, was uh, covers for Plop. And then you get, you know, mm-hmm. I get into the 80s with Swamp Thing, which you're recovering this week. And right. Hellblazer. Do you remember Faust when it came out, Steve? I
3: don't. I know who the character is, but I don't remember uh, that series. I remember um, Dr. Fate was not really horror, but I mean, it had that um, yeah element. Oh, we
0: had it. a supernatural horror yeah. event, yeah. Uh, um, and I'm um, trying to think of Dan Brereton's Nocturnals was another good one mm-hmm. from when we were in college.
3: Uh, Dracula. Um yeah. uh, the Vampirula. The, Dracula, 30, the, the black make. and white stuff that Marvel had. Um the Vampirella. And Vampirella,
0: when you talk about Vampirella, you also get into those eerie and creepy, those mm-hmm. Warren titles that were so
3: weird. You know, I only remember a couple of, of uh eerie and creepy tales. I guess they were reprinted years later. This was would have been in the late seventies, early eighties. And there were a mm-hmm. couple of stories. This was definitely had to be an anthology of uh, of stuff. But I remember reading some of those stories and it was pretty bad. You might know The issue off the top, if I described it, it was the story about this uh, landlord who was just terrible. He was a slumlord, basically, terrible to his tenants, Mm -hmm. treated him poorly, didn't do anything. And so finally, the tenants finally got fed up, and uh, they kidnapped him one night and locked him away in a closet and then started doing construction in the the apartment building. And then they turned out the lights, and they let him go— and he found out that they had made a maze throughout the apartment complex and lined the walls with razor blades so that he would oh, run into yeah. it and start cutting himself and then it was uh,
0: it was it was a school for the blind yeah yeah that's what it was and yeah uh, that's an old EC story and yeah. then some idiot turned out the lights
3: yeah and the guy had dogs that were really mean dogs and of course then the scent of blood on this guy and that was the end of him mm-hmm. yeah it was that was good that was i like that one i'm not that really much pretty, into or, horror um I think sometimes horror books tend to uh, use um, uh, grotesqueness shock, just for shock value to try to sell stuff, uh, to try to make it even more horrific, I guess. Um, That stuff isn't really appealing to me. The stuff that is scary, kind of like the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone isn't horrific, but it's the stuff that you put inside your head that makes it scary. One of the
0: most horrifying stories of my childhood. And I cannot for life, you tell me where I tell you where I read this. It may have been an anthology. I remember it having pictures. So I'm almost certain (laughs) it was a comic book. Okay. And this was when I was maybe eight or nine. It was, uh, I think it was a Twilight Zone or something very like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was about this uh, criminal. This two-time pool hustler who cheated people and somehow ended up on a giant pool table. And at the end of the episode, he gets squashed between two balls and a giant pool player takes the ball and picks it up. And it, there's this goop on it that used to be this man. And he just rubs it on his shirt and goes back to playing the game. <laughs> and it's horrifying. And that story sticks with me to the point where I don't know what it was called. Where I read it, when I read it, but 35 years later, I'm like, yeah, ha, ha, ha,
2: ha, just talking about it.
3: Yeah, that's pretty bad.
2: Rodrigo, what about up. you?
3: Are you a big horror comics fan?
2: I'm really not. I've read some, um, mostly stuff that I found in the library. Um, and you know, I, I mean, I don't remember what, what any of it is called. I remember a story about, uh, kind of this, uh, witch coven and, and this, guy realizing that his mother was a witch and the witch is kind of coming back and talking to him and trying to get him basically get him because he has like spooky powers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, You know, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I, I mean, even then I wouldn't call it horror. It was more like this kind of supernatural mystery. I think it's very difficult to do horror in comics. You know, there are, there are a choice few comics out there at all. I think that can truly be called horror because I think the medium really doesn't lend itself to it. When you can peek a page ahead, yeah, you know it kind of takes away wow. a little bit of that surprise. Do you guys know who Jack Davis is? No. Jack
0: Davis is the guy who used to work for um, MAD, and this is where most people would know him from. He did really good caricatures. So he would usually do like um, the MAD parody of like Mister T movies or oh, yeah, whatever was sure. topical. Yeah, in the fifties, Jack. Did a story for EC Comics called "Foul Play," and "Foul Play" is the story of this basically this evil, corrupt baseball player, and how lots of other dead baseball players, and somehow I think he was responsible for them dying. I don't remember that part, but I remember the denouement, if you will, of the story. Uh, that's a fifty-dollar word, Rodrigo, right there. Oh, and it, um, it
2: cost me thirty-two thousand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the story, the zombies. Build. They 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 kill him and they use him to play baseball. So his intestines line the bases. They use his heart for the pitcher's mound. His head is the ball. It's oh my god! It's awful, but it's drawn. By Jack Davis and Jack Davis, in my mind, is the friendly guy who, you know, draws Alfred E. Newman and, and you know, realistic pictures. So I'm thinking, how scary can this be? It's Jack Davis. Oh, God, I can't stop.
3: Yeah, and that's you what I'm talking about. I mean, there's stuff that's horrifying, that's scary, but then there's just stuff like, yeah, let's just, uh, you know, it's, Stretch out this guy's entrails and hope nobody slips out on him as it, as they yeah. slide into third, you know, that kind of
0: that, thing. That one is horrifying on both levels because it's psychologically horrifying to see what they do. But the way the story is constructed, you don't see this happening. And when you get to the end of it, yes, you see, you know, they finally show you the horror of it. But the build to it and the fact that EC comics used to use a mechanical typeface rather than hand lettering. Right. Just somehow makes it more and more, you know, it's kind of like, it reminds me of the films of Herschel Gordon Lewis in that they're gory and they're horrifying. Mm-hmm. But they're also, you know, they're psychologically terrifying and they're good in that scary way. Even though you know that you're just, you're going to see a blood fountain in about five seconds, <laughs> knowing that's coming. I think makes you know, makes the suspense fun. And then you get to a point where it's like, did that guy's head just explode? Right. Yeah. So
3: what, what would you classify like the current stuff today? Like crossed, for example,
0: crossed is probably a follower of that. And I think it, it may say more about me as you know, a person, as I've aged that I don't necessarily care for crossed crossed, uh, family values, a lot of, um, I can't remember if it's Warren Ellis or Garth Ennis who works for Avatar. They're both the same guy. They just changed their name for tax purposes. A lot of the stuff that Warren Garth Ellis Ennis does for Avatar is in that vein. It's stories that couldn't be told anywhere other than these, you know, strange books. Right. One that was recently Rosario Dawson wrote a book a couple, three years ago called uh, OCT, Occult Crimes Task Force. Mm hmm. That was a really good kind of a horror – I don't know if I – it was more of a cop story with horror trappings, but it was definitely in that horror vein. I really liked that one. If you get – I mean, if you get me going on really good, horrible things, I have kind of a smaller sampling of horror comics than I might, you know, old school Marvel or, you know, Tencent DC – but I can talk about these for hours because there are lots of really great ones out there.
3: I'm sure there are specter. I like specter
0: wrath of the specter from the seventies. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 But way, way back in the day, I did a retro review of wrath of the specter. We may need to revisit those.
3: Revisit the specter. Wait, that did not
0: my mind. mom told me if you revisit the specter, you could go blind. <laughs> That's
3: what I was going to say. Review time. <laughs> comics that have come out in the last week or coming out this week that we have taken our gander at, cast our eyes upon, and are giving you our opinionated opinions.
0: You know what they say about reviews? What's that? Everybody has one and they all, wait.
3: (laughs) Action Comics number 897 came out last week, written by Paul Cornell with art by Pete Woods. Um, You know what? I have no idea what's going on in Action Comics. Something about Lex Luthor doing something and he's taken front and center.
0: um, Stephen, if I may, if I may. Go ahead. Uh, Of course, Stephen. Recently, uh, you may recall that Mr. Luthor was exposed to orange lantern energy during the quote-unquote Blackest Night crossover, and I believe that in action comics he's seeking out the power of the black lanterns, the, uh, how should you say, the lantern which is black, if you will, uh, right. What the French would call Le Lantrino de Negrat, And uh, obviously he's attempting to recapture that sort of ring power, if you will.
3: Yeah, I, I really don't care about any of that. What's really cool about this issue <laughs> is that <laughs> Lex Luthor and his team, and I'm, is one of them, I don't know who one of them is. She's all dressed in black. But Lex Luthor and his team uh, wind up at Arkham Asylum because they've tracked down one of these uh, black sphere energy traces, and it just so happens to be in the Joker's cell. And so Lex Luthor and the Joker have a conversation back and forth, back and forth, mind games essentially, throughout the entire issue, and it is a really great exchange between villains. You know, somebody who thinks himself so cerebral and somebody else who thinks himself, you know, wacky in the wiki-woo... Uh, sitting down and trying to communicate effectively with one another, and Luthor thinks he's smart, but I think honestly, I think the Joker might be a little smarter because um, mm. it's funny because you know smart kids generally or stereotypically get picked on on a high school by the jocks, you know where the jock will slip something out and make fun of them before the the smart kid realizes and it's kind of like one of those hey wait a minute kind of moments. Um, the Joker has several of those in the exchange with Luthor, and Luthor's like, oh, uh, I see what you're doing. Let's get back to the business at hand kind of stuff. And it's really, really a great exchange as the Joker is kind of also kind of warning Luthor about, you know, this is stuff that you don't really want to mess with, but he does it in his own Joker-esque way, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, There's some action here, but it's not like super interesting action. It's more... um, it's it's a conversation. Uh, the art is pretty good, although I don't know why all of a sudden, midway through the issue, the Joker goes from looking like the Joker to looking like that uh, clown doll from the Saw series. And I don't know if it's the Black uh, Lantern energy doing it, but all of a sudden the Joker's cheeks get these little spirals growing on them, and it's like, eh, don't like that so much. In the end, the Joker gets what he wants, Luthor gets what he wants, and then the Orange Lantern, Larfleeze shows up, and he's wanting what he wants. Larfleeze. You know, it's a pretty good issue. Um, again, if you just want to read Luthor and the Joker having these kinds of conversations, this battle of the wits or the witless or whatever that's going on, and looking at how driven Luthor is to get whatever he wants to get, but again, this is probably not a great jumping-on point point for most people. Um, The art is good. Um, The only thing that I have a complaint about, and this has to do with continuity, is that the Luthor and Joker were direct opposites with one another during Salvation Run. Bitter enemies to the point where they were going at war with one another. Um, And none of that comes up in here. And it's almost like, you know, I know we've talked about continuity before, but... Not even kind of mentioning in passing the fact that, you know, you tried to screw one another over on the uh, on the Salvation Planet or the Terror Planet or whatever it was just doesn't fit right. Something's not up with that. Mm -hmm. So because of that, uh, I ended up not only because of that, but also because of the story and some of the art elements, because it doesn't uh, it's not exactly clear for the fresh new reader. I'm giving this one three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Not a bad issue. But uh, don't go into it wanting to understand why he's tracking down these little black floating spheres.
0: But still See, Luthor and the Joker together remind me of Pinky and the Brain. I don't you know. And I don't
3: even think it's that. It's more like it's more well, like uh, Hitler and Stalin.
0: Do you remember the opening though of Animaniacs or uh, Pinky in the Brain where they say one is a genius, the other's insane? Right. They don't, they don't specify who is who. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I think that the case is, it could be made for Luthor and the Joker as well in that I think that even though he's more highly functioning, Luthor may be further around the bend in many ways than the Joker because the Joker's the Joker's psychoses don't keep him from being an evil criminal genius, whereas Lex Luthor is so fixated on that guy in the underpants, you know, flying around his town.
3: I just want to hear Maybe the Joker go,
0: "Narf, narf." What are we gonna <laughs> do tonight, Lexi?
3: The same thing yeah, we do yeah. every night, Joker. Plan to take over the world, only to be thwarted by Batman and Robin and Superman. Curse them! Or the rescue rangers. Curse that
2: alien Superman!
3: Curse them! Or the rescue, rescue rangers. 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 Rescue Rangers, Rodrigo, Curse the you, Monterey,
2: Jack. <laughs> now that, that would be a crossover right there. Pinky <laughs> and the Brain versus the Rescue Rangers. That
3: actually would be kind of interesting to see. But uh, Warner Brothers and Disney are probably not on super great speaking terms these days.
2: Oh, uh, not right now. Although, you know, they all shoot in Paramount slots, so who cares?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, Chippendales Rescue Rangers number three comes out from our friends at Boom Studios. Rodrigo, this give is us a rundown. This is the one rundown. where
0: the guys get naked, right? What? The Chippendales Rescue Rangers? Uh, they don't wear pants. Yeah. They, they come in dressed as
2: firemen and then they.
0: No, never mind.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Stay with me. And I am not acknowledging it. <laughs> if Steven had no soul, of that, that would have been an awesome joke. <laughs> so anyway, um, the Chippendale Rescue Rangers, they are on a mission to stop Whoever is mind controlling all these animals into doing bad things like kicking over trash cans and killing uh teenagers and stuff. Um Wow, that's deep. No, (laughs) there's no teenagers. No, there's no teenage murder in it. But uh you know the at one point the uh rescue rangers get attacked by some of their allies which you know really brings it home that uh you know this is this is dangerous times so they're traveling around trying to assemble this uh macguffin uh called the super macguffin um that's not <laughs> actually what it, no, that's not actually what it's called it's oh. called like the super key or something the super um, McG? the super mac the super mac McMuffin.
0: The Super um, McG. Yeah.
2: Um, okay. there was Peter a was great, there was saying. a great episode of Sam and Max in which they were actually chasing around trying to find the recipe for egg McGuffins. <laughs> it, it was brilliant. Anyway, um, so they're traveling through to Louisiana and Brazil and the North Pole trying to assemble this key. And then they do, and then they manage to block some of the, uh, waves that are going out, uh, messing up with animals and stuff. And I don't really much care for it. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it's just kind of weak all around the, the interactions between the characters. Like there's team conflict that seems out of character. You know, like, the characters are a lot more serious than they were in the cartoon, it seems. Which, which I understand what they're trying to do with it. They're trying to give them depth. But just having them fight amongst themselves and then two pages down, be okay with each other, and then later on fight again. It just feels really forced. Um, They never... Like, I don't remember at which point they explain how they figure out what's going on. Or how they figure out that it's Fat Cat doing it, but they do—they figure it out. Because it's always um, Fat Cat doing it. And, and and see, that's that's the thing, and that's kind of a—I I mean, that is not good writing, unfortunately. Um, well, but I mean,
3: we—you knew it was Negaduck doing all the bad stuff over in the other, in the other uh, Dark Wing, right? Not
2: on, not on the first, uh, not on the first arc. Negaduck oh, okay. doesn't yeah. have it with the first
0: arc. Okay. Yeah, the first arc was the the
2: bull guy. Yep, Bulba. So, so not yeah, cup I mean, of tea. it's... No, you know, it's... It's kind of unfortunate, but there's there's a lot of stuff going on, and it really feels that, you know, there's there's a plate full of character development and a plateful of stuff that you have to keep from the Disney afternoon and a plateful of plot and... You know, you only have two hands and a foot, and a foot that you have to stand on, and then more stuff gets at it. It just feels like the the writer is just having trouble juggling it, um, which is interesting because I think it's the same writer that's writing Dark that's doing such a bang up job with Darkwing Duck, um, blah, da, 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 da. Ian Brill, I mm. think. Okay. Um. Uh, so that's yeah. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, uh, I just haven't given it enough time, but I think three issues in, you know, I, I should be way more interested than I am right now. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to keep reading it. I probably am because Boom Studio sends us stuff and sometimes I'm really hurting for a review. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not really all that impressed with it. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it two and a half slices of meatloaf. And it only gets that because the art is spectacular. I mean, it's like, as with Darkwing Duck, it is. these are the characters that you know. They're great. Their expressions are fantastic. The coloring is great. It's that bright kind of, oh, it, yeah. it looks cell shaded It's it's mm-hmm. very strong. So it it gets up to, you know, average on the art, but I'm not terribly impressed by it.
3: All right. Two and a half stars. Noted, Rodrigo. Thank you for that review.
2: Matthew. Indeed, you are
3: We have a boom review, a DC review, and that only means that we should balance everything out with
0: a Marvel review. Oh, good. I totally have one of those.
3: What? You do? Cool.
0: I know, right? Uh, Secret Avengers number nine, part of the ongoing 17 monthly Avengers titles. Everybody in the Marvel Universe is an Avenger, and this is the book where it happens. Um, Ed Brubaker Don't get me wrong. I love Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker is a wonderful, wonderful writer. But there are some things that Brubaker has done that I haven't really cared for. Okay. And one of those was a book called The Marvels Project. Didn't get into it. Couldn't read it. You know, the first issue didn't grab me, and I didn't have a whole lot of money that year. So what happens when I start reading Secret Avengers and love it? Crossover with The Marvels Project and the jokes on the fat man. Um, (laughs) Secret Avengers for the last couple of issues has been about the attempt to resurrect the father of Shang Fu, Master of Tai Chi. Excuse me, Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu. I always get that confused. Now, here's the thing. In Marvel history, his father is Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu was a licensed character to Marvel in the 70s. They no longer have the rights to use Fu Manchu, the character, or call him Fu Manchu. So they have him running around calling him Zhong Zhu. Now, in recent months, we found that 50,000 years ago there was a character who appeared in Defenders who was an LMD of Nick Fury. He's in this book. This book also reveals that John Steele, a character from like 1940, who was one of the characters of the Marvel Project, the Marvels Project, excuse me, is also part of the Shadow Council, the which Shadow has Council. Shadow Council. Which seems to be basically an evil mirror of Steve Rogers' new, I don't know if he's calling it S.H.I.E.L.D. or what, but his new Avengers initiative, if you will. So we see a little bit of Steel. Steel has uh, Steve's girlfriend, Agent 13, Sharon Carter. And there's a fascinating interchange between Max Fury, the LMD, and Sharon Carter halfway through the book, where she's like, you're not Nick Fury. And she starts responding to him as though he were Nick Fury, even though he... Isn't Nick Fury. Okay. So that was kind of a kind of a fascinating scene to me. And it's followed by a sequence where they have to do some talkie talkie dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Rogers and Shang-Chi have to do some talkie talkie. So for three pages, Steve Rogers and Shang-Chi are sparring and talking. And it's really, really well done. Mike, Mike Deodato, who I gave crap for years ago on Dark Avengers, mm-hmm. does this whole just beautiful sequence where they're talking and they're obviously focused on the fact that they're talking. But it's Steve Rogers and Shang-Chi. They're fighting each other and they are literally, I mean, just making these beautiful, complex maneuvers. But it's Steve Rogers and Shang-Chi. They don't even have to think about it. So they have this conversation. And Shang drops Steve, and then Steve drops Shang, and then something comes up, and I'm just like, I love the way that sequence plays out from a character perspective, because it makes both of the characters fascinating to me. And it really, really, the fact that Shang-Chi gets in the first shot and drops Captain America just kind of gives me a, ha-ha, you may sell more comics and have a movie, but Shang-Chi is still a better fighter than you. (laughs) Um, Basically, it turns into a hostage exchange. Zhang Zhu wants his kid. Steve wants his girlfriend, and so they do that, and at the end of the issue, Shang is in the clutches of his father, who's a zombie, and it turns out that Steve managed to get one of his secret Avengers into the Shadow Council. Dun-dun-dun! So they actually have somebody on the other side. No, it's Moon Canigate. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, did I spoiler that? What? 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 Now... This is a really, really well done book. And the only complaint that I have about it is that this is a team that numbers amongst its members, Nova and the war machine. The only complaint I have about this issue is that Nova and the war machine are not part of this mission. Because it's, you know, it's a stealth street fighter mission. So, The Valkyrie and the Black Widow and Moon Knight and Commander Rogers and Shang Chi are out alone, and I think they have the Beast as their strongman. If I were Steve Rogers and I had the ability to call in Nova, even though Nova's dead, actually, now that I think about it, if I never mind, if I had the ability to call in Nova, wait a few more issues and he'll
3: be alive. Yeah,
0: exactly. I would call in War Machine. I would call in Nova. I would get some assistance, you know. Because, yes, I understand it's a quiet, kind of sneaky in the back alleys, kicky, kicky, fighty, fighty mission. Mm -hmm. But come on, you bring in Nova and make a strafing run, and this thing is over. Fu Manchu is in custody, John Steele is cut in half, everybody's happy. Other than that small problem, a very good book, well drawn, well written, great character bits, four and a half slices of meatloaf for me, for Secret Avengers number nine. Yeah, it's good.
3: You know, I keep wanting to read the Secret Avengers. You should. Should I read from the beginning, or am I going to be lost if I jump in on issue two?
0: This is issue nine. I do believe the first six issues are already... I think the first few issues are already traded. This is part four of five. Ah, okay. So I would wait a couple of months. I would pick it up with 11 and then get grab the first two trades, because they are really quite well done.
3: I'm also wondering if I need to go back and reread uh, the Flash stuff.
0: No. No, you okay. don't. All right.
3: All right. Well, you know what, listeners? There are plenty of reviews over at the Majorspoilers.com website. We made a point years ago when we were doing this that we weren't going to review the stuff that's on the website and that we weren't going to um, – uh, that's on the podcast and we weren't going to review stuff on the podcast on the website. So you're getting exclusive content here. And you can get exclusive, exclusive content over at the Majorspoilers.com website. and We hope that you do check that out. And now that the reviews are done.
0: It's time for the millions in attendance and the creepy swamp man hanging around the back alley with apparently a cigar that he made out of a banjo or maybe a banjo that he made out of a cigar box. I don't know how that sentence began, but it's time. If you love comics, you know that people constantly ask you, do you like Superman better or Batman better? (laughs) And the answer is, I like Dr. Fate. But it's time to discover. With Christopher Nolan involved in both The Man of Steel and The Dark Knight. With Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan, who I believe owns some sort of firm that puts in floors. Who? Are you more interested in the new Dark Knight film or the new Superman film? What's it gonna be? Steven go.
3: Uh, you know, this is interesting because um uh, you know, Christopher Nolan seems to be that that golden child in Hollywood right now. He can't do can't do no wrong with that boy. I mean Inception did incredibly well. Of course, uh Batman, uh the Dark Knight brought in one point three billion dollars worldwide from a single movie.
0: Yeah, but in, then you've in, got, in actual dollars, that's like 38 bucks.
3: Then you've got Superman. And, you know, Superman Returns was okay to a point. But it wasn't the stellar smashing success that Warner Brothers had hoped it would be. And now they've got Zack Snyder directing. And some people are like, eh, you know, we like Zack Snyder. And he did great stuff with 300 and Watchmen. But really, Superman and Warner Brothers said, hey, let's make Christopher Nolan the producer on this to help guide the project, to make it great again. I'm to be honest. I'm not a big Superman fan. I'm interested in seeing what happens with Zack Snyder and uh, this new what's his name Henry, Henry Chevelle, or whatever his name is. I'm interested Vincent to see. I, I'm interested to see what happens with that movie. But at this point, I'm interested to see how the trilogy ends with the Dark Knight. And so I it's think not at this point, trilogy. at this point, I am more interested in Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight Rises movie.
0: I don't think it's a trilogy. Do you think it's, it's a three movies? It's a three. It's three movies, but it's not a trilogy.
3: Well, you book them together, it's a trilogy.
0: No, just having three movies does not make it a trilogy. But the story, you know, who connect. else had three movies? Ace Ventura, not a trilogy. <laughs> a trilogy has a through line and a character arc. This is three stories
2: about Batman. Um.
3: Rodrigo, your thoughts. Hello.
2: Um, I'm interested. I'm interested in new Superman. I, I want to see, I want to see what it looks like. Um, although I guess I kind of know what he'll look like. Um, but I'm less interested in that as, uh, as I am in how the world will look, which is really what I'm, you know, I, I think that, uh, Batman, the Dark Knight and all that stuff, you know, it, it, it went really well. I really liked that, uh, it's uh Gotham City kind of looked like somebody crashed Blade Runner into Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm curious. I'm Do you curious. mean the,
0: the city or the Richard Gere film? Because <laughs> like the the film. Either way, that's funny. Yep. Um. He ran into my batarang 23 times.
2: <laughs> um. It's a uh, yeah lipshits. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm more interested be, because I, I want to see conceptually what they do with Superman with Metropolis. And, you know, this is a new team and it's not, let's try to hire someone who looks like Christopher Reeves or George Reeve or anybody who has that Eve sound in their name. <laughs> um, he their I, names, by the way. I want to, I want a new Superman thing to look at and hopefully they will give it to me.
3: The interesting thing about this, uh, uh, what's his name? Cavill, Cavill, C-A-V-I-L-L, the -hmm. guy that's been cast as Superman. He was actually cast as Superman before when McG was heading up that Superman Returns project. And then he was kind of shown the door once uh, Brian stepped on board with Brandon Routh. So, well, I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what, what comes out of this.
0: See, I think Brian Singer just wanted to recapture the spirit of uh, Christopher Reeve. And I look at these, for me, <clears throat> The Dark Knight was a good movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying The Dark Knight wasn't a good movie. I'm not necessarily in a hurry to see another Batman film. <clears throat> because I always have this fear that it's going to turn into what kills the dinosaurs again, you know. Bat nipples and Alicia Silverstone. Because that, you know, that set of movies, not a trilogy either, started out really well. Um, I want to see this two-door guy as Superman, even though I picture Superman as more of a four-door, possibly a minivan. Um, But I actually chose none of the above. Simply because of the way the question is phrased, which Christopher Nolan project are you more interested in seeing? I have no interest in Christopher Nolan. I have some interest in Superman. I have slightly less interest in Batman. But it's not to me about the creator, because especially today, it's not going to be Christopher Nolan's Batman. It's not going to be Christopher Nolan's Superman. It's not going... You can't do things like Dick Donner did in 1977. These movies don't exist anymore. It's going to go through... Yeah, it's going to go through, you know, 50 research groups and focus people and they're going to make changes based on the fact that some lady in wisconsin didn't care for it so i want to see a superman story but i went i'm a hater simply because i don't have a whole lot of you know not interested in it because it's christopher nolan but because of what christopher nolan might be working on
3: alan jones says i've already seen what he can do with batman i want to see what he can do with superman and if he can do what he did with Batman, revitalize the uh, the film and make him relevant again, I'm in. Um, let's see who else here. We've got Joe M. says, in general, Superman is more interesting to me than Batman. And I know that I'm not in the majority here, seeing as the announcement that Bane will be in the Batman movie um, says that he for him, that's made it go from. Yeah, I'll see it, to I'll wait and see what the reviews look like. Superman is still right up there, though. I will go see it. Uh, let's see who else we have. We have Silver Gray. He says, I'm more excited for Nolan's take on Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> I don't think that's uh, a project. in the It's words. a
0: hard knock life. Although, uh, us. what's
3: her name? Will Smith's, uh, daughter is going to be in the, the remake of, yeah. her
0: uh, her name, name is Will Smith.
3: No, what is her name? Is that her name?
0: Willow it's Smith. Willow. Smith. Willow. Smith. Willow Smith. Okay. All right.
3: All right. Mm-hmm. I don't remember her name. I just remember seeing that come around. So. Matthew, how does the Spoilerite Nation vote this week?
0: I'm looking at 380 votes, Mm -hmm. a whopping 68%, nearly three out of four voting for Christopher Nolan-directed Batman, 26% Superman, 6% um, taking that third option just because they can. Some of those 6% may be Marvel fans. I don't know. Uh, But it looks like Batman has the edge, and that's probably because of the strength of the Dark Knight. Here's something else to take into account. When Christopher Nolan did Batman Returns, what had it been, 10 years Batman since Begins. the crap fest that was Batman and Robin? Yeah, whatever. Right. Okay. It had been 10 years. That franchise had time to rest before he resurrected it. The stink of Superman Returns or Superman Begins, whatever it is. Returns. The thing of Superman Returns is still in the air. I mean, you cannot mention the phrase Superman Returns, even at work, where I try not to have these nerd discussions, without me having the nerd discussion about why that movie tanked and why their fundamental misapprehension of Superman and his life is the problem. Um, I feel like if they're going to do Superman... They need to get away from Luthor. And they need to get away from existing, you know, movie portrayals. And they need to do something different, which will inevitably lead to Doomsday.
3: No, I don't think so.
0: Oh, I'm absolutely sure of it. Giant mechanical fact, spider. <laughs> That's all that matters. You're going to have it in the third act. Yeah, <laughs> you have it in the third act. And uh, it doesn't matter if he has a costume or flies. In fact, it's better if he doesn't fly. Right, Rodrigo? I think it yep. Superman shouldn't he, fly. He's a, he's a fly. jump.
2: He yeah, should jump. jump. Really hard. So and then maybe hover. Hover. Although hover how, would he, how he would get down after that, I'm not entirely it, yeah. sure. Well, you know how it is. Gotta get a chain Sometimes the down. Earth
0: just sucks. Yep. Yeah, exactly. there you go. That's That will be Lois's Lois's job. She can it carry her around the, the chain. Ball
3: and chain. Yeah. All right, yeah. everybody. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Cast your vote in the poll of the week. The numbers do add up, but I have noticed that once the numbers get around 100, 150... The numbers pretty much stick that way. Unless you can find 400 friends to all vote for I'm a hater, I think this poll of the week is closed.
0: Unless you're Bill Hater, at which point you can be a hater (laughs) and bring all of the fellow haters. Bring the whole hater family. We don't
3: All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Alan Moore and the saga of the Swamp Thing. Things are going to get spooky. Swamp Thing. Stick around. We'll be right back.
6: Good evening, everybody. It's 2011. Happy New Year. I'm the Dexter 102, and we're going to get straight back into our reviews today with a 61-second review of Bridge to Terabithia. So, here we go. It's about a boy called Jesse who he's a, comes from a big farming family in some unnamed American state, and he meets a girl, and they go off on adventures together, and they form a fantasy world to escape from their problems. This is so well-made, and it's so beautifully constructed. The cinematography, is like it's beautiful, it's got the special effects, and it transitions between the high fantasy elements and the realistic elements, and it shows how, you know, these children deal with their problems through the fantasy world. It's about letting go of those issues that hold you down as a child, so you can begin the transition from child to adult, teenagers, they are pre-teens, and it's beautifully constructed and just really paced and is so emotional, like, I don't cry at much, but I bawled my eyes out, and it's fantastic, and he's one of the unappreciated modern masterpieces. All right, so I'm going to give it five slices of meatloaf. What else could I give it? It's fantastic. Thanks very much, guys. Please go over to the forums, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm going to get back into that Twitter thing. I know I've been away for a while, but thanks very much, and as always, peace and love, and happy new year.
7: Hi, this is Russ Cadd from Ottawa, Ontario calling.
6: What
3: are you calling all the way from Ontario, Canada for?
7: Um, to talk about saga, saga
3: of the Swamp Thing. Saga of the Swamp Thing? Holy Quite cow. It. When did you read this book?
7: Um, almost half my life ago.
3: Almost. That's, Rodrigo, that's almost how old you are.
2: I don't, I don't do math. Not Nobody knows. I read it
7: when I was 18 years. in the
2: university.
3: Oh, at the university. So, Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing. way in now.
7: All right. Um... The entire Alan Moore Sag of the Swamp thing is possibly one of my favorite runs of comics. However, this particular volume is my least favorite of them all. Um, Alan Moore's writing was really good, but he had the challenge of trying to take Alan Moore or trying to take Alec Holland, the man, and try to make him into what he ends up becoming. Um, the art uh, by Steve DeSedt and Rick Veitch, um, while very innovative, is a little hard for casual comic uh, readers to grasp. I know I certainly had problems when I first read it. However, uh, for those people who have problems with it, I say give it a chance. Read it again a week later, a month later, and you will like it because it is absolutely awesome.
3: Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for calling in.
7: Thank you well, guys. Let me ask you a
3: question. Let me ask you a question. What do you think yep. of the new Thundercat look?
7: <laughs> I have so much hope. For the Thundercats, um I've been really impressed with some of the new offerings with the cartoons lately. the new g i Joe boot that's out right now is actually good um so I want it to be good. I really do, but I'm prepared for it to be not.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks for calling in, man.
7: Not a problem, thanks
3: a
0: lot, guys. Have a good evening. Welcome back to the major Sporters podcast. On 44.5 on your radio dial, I'm Matthew, joining me are Rodrigo and Hello. Stephen. And this week we're discussing Alan Moore's saga of the swamp thing, um, a thing, if you will, from the swamp. Um, Stephen, do, do you have any opening thoughts regarding this this swamp thing?
3: You know, I don't – what uh, – actually, I think some people may not know what the swamp thing is prior to this Um Uh, we have a character, uh, Alec, uh, what's his last name? Holland. Holland, who blew up in a accident, got doused with chemicals, ran into the swamp and apparently was resurrected. And that's what people kind of knew him as. And when you're talking about horror Mm -hmm. anthology stories, uh, the swamp thing in the early days seemed to kind of just drift in and out of, uh, the tales, uh, would occasionally use his fear power to fear (laughs) down people.
0: No, you're thinking of Man-Thing. Man-Thing, I'm sorry. But then occasionally... the fear power.
3: But then occasionally some interesting things would happen, especially when a new creator comes on board. In this case, Alan Moore. And Mm -hmm. Matthew, do you think that this is a case of, I want to give my take on this, as opposed to, I'm just a hired gun to write? Because Alan Moore comes on, and the first Mm -hmm. thing that he does is he kills the Swamp Thing in his first outgoing, in issue number 20 of this uh, series... And then totally rebuilds the swamp thing from the ground up, uh, in how we view him—from being Alec the man to just a elemental creature. Thing. Yeah. yeah,
0: you have to you have to take into account what time frame this was, and I've made these references before, and people blow them off. But in 1982, people in the industry have stated that they thought. From month to month that DC Comics was going to go away, to Ah. go under and be gone. Mm -hmm. And really it was Len, um, not Len, excuse me. It was uh, Wolfman and Perez on Teen Titans that kind of revitalized DC in 82. And in 82, 83, 84, going up to the crisis in 86, really, DC was willing to go nuts with their characters swamp things original series ran like 12 issues and i think was canceled um around the time of the dc implosion in the late 70s okay and then relaunched in 82 because of the movie with adrian barbeau's rack in it yeah. um saga of the swamp thing good 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 pulpy crap movie yeah uh, uh the guys Wes Craven, the I think film sack
3: on uh, scott johnson and the rest of those guys recently did a uh uh, dissection of the swamp thing on on their movie review so you might want to go check that out frog yeah. pants network
0: good good movie good movie and mart i think either marty Pasco or len ween i can't remember which had relaunched the book and it just kind of was there but in 84 when they gave it to more i think well three things were going on this was a moore's big American debut. Yeah, that's B, what I was just
3: looking up. He had been doing 2000 AD yep. and uh, Warrior and all that, and Swamp Thing was yep. his first introduction to uh, American comics and American readers.
0: Yep, so it was his big chance in the American thing. B, it was a it's a, a lower tier character. Right. I mean, Swamp Thing is never going to sell underpants. And most importantly, it was 1984 where DC was trying to get some attention to take these characters who may have become moribund and, you know, just go, here's something you've never seen before. And it's hard to look at this book and remember that this had never been seen before because this is the father of vertigo, right? This is the father of decompressed storytelling. This is the father of what we read now. This is the father of Spawn, The Walking Dead, Haunt. All of those books take their cues from Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing.
3: The thing that strikes me, and and we were commenting, uh, Matthew, you had said earlier that past collected editions of Saga of the Swamp Thing Volume 1 had not included this number 20 issue, the issue where uh, the, what is it, the Sutherlands go into the swamp and essentially burn it to the ground.
0: Yeah, it's basically the the cleanup of the first 19 issues. Um, uh, Colonel Sunderland, who is an evil, evil thing, sends in his uh, jackbooted thugs, and the thugs basically destroy the supporting cast. It is literally the definition of, I'm going to come in and blow everything up and start my new status quo. But I've never read issue 20 before, and I didn't realize this before we did this review. I have read... The Anatomy Lesson, Issue 21, and the arc that comes after it, and the arc that comes after that, and after that, hundreds, literally hundreds of times, because they're that good and they're that rereadable. Never read Issue 20. What I like about this this... is the first time I've ever read Issue 20 in my entire life, and I'm just like, oh, it's funny. It's a good comic book. What I really
3: like about this uh, issue, this opening chapter of the book, is Mm -hmm. the layout and the pencil work by Dan Day. And if you pay Mm -hmm. attention to what's going on from page to page and how it's all laid out, you flash forward to what's going on in Fables and Jack of Fables and even the work that Tony Mm -hmm. Harris is Mm -hmm. doing in in the Starman or did in the Starman series. And man, they're really crafting a nice, well-laid-out book in this chapter.
0: Yeah. and Was it
3: Dan or Gene Day? Uh, That's who is credited. It says Pencil's Dan Day.
0: Dan and Gene were brothers, and either Gene or Dan passed away, like, 1984. I think it was Gene who died, but Dan's work is just amazing. In this whole, you know, that whole story arc, there's, um I think I'm looking at page three and four, because I'm looking at the original issues. And it's one of the first times chronologically giggity, that I remember seeing that actual tiered storytelling across two pages. So right. there are six panels across the top, that track, and then you go down the bottom five panels track. And the layout is just phenomenal. He's got the horrifying evil Sunderland. And Swamp Thing in this issue 20 is in transition from his old I'm a green guy in a leotard look to what would eventually become you know, the moss-covered, root-covered, bug-covered thing. So it's interesting to see that.
3: And so most of the collected versions after or before this uh, have started Mm -hmm. with issue 21, which is the anatomy lesson. And this is where um, we see Woodruff Floronic in. Man. Yeah, the Floronic Man. I want to talk about him in just a moment. But he's brought in essentially to do an autopsy on the body of the Swamp Thing. And as he does mm-hmm. it, he makes all of these startling discoveries. Now, who is Woodrow, uh, Matthew? Uh,
0: Jason Woodrow was originally a foe of the Silver Age Adam. Okay. Uh, he started out just as a botanist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember if he was the Floronic Man... <clears throat> In his early appearances, but Woodruff started out as a botanist and eventually got crazier and crazier. He may have been the Adams' first enemy. Now that I think about it, I can't remember Adam number one. But he used app- he- June nineteen sixty-two. Really? Okay, cool. Yep. I knew that. Woo! Um, but eventually, he turned into a plant-human hybrid. And uh, as an aside. He was a member of the secret society of supervillains during the uh, notorious Zatanna mind wipe incident. If I'm not mistaken, mm,
3: okay. Well, the reason as I the ask Floronic is, man. you know, he does kind of start off as this uh, person that you know they know him as the Floronic Man, uh, but he's got mm-hmm. this weird spray that I guess gives him human skin like uh, appearance. And yeah, so he can that's pass from
0: the atom. He can spray. Yeah, he can spray human stick on human skin over his uh, wooden form, and just he's still creepy as all hell yeah he is i might add
3: and there's some there's some how about this uh, there's some shocking uh, photos of him washing his human skin off and emerging as the Floronic yeah. man but mm-hmm. rodrigo what's interesting about this piece and i want you maybe to expand upon this and, and maybe talk a little bit about it is this discovery that he makes of how the swamp thing all this time thought that he was um he was a man
2: right the uh the the fluoronic man starts uh, cutting up swamp thing and he's like, and I found some lungs, but his lungs don't work. And I found a brain, but his brain don't work. And I found some guts, and the guts don't work. Nothing works. Why is nothing working? How could this man be alive? And then he's like, oh, it is not because Alec Holland. That Alec, his first name, I think. Yeah,
3: so. Alec. It's imagine. not
2: because he was like, oh no, I am on fire, and then fell into the swamp, and the chemicals turned him into the swamp thing is because he fell into the swamp died then the chemicals infused sure. the plants around them the plants ate him and absorbed his consciousness yep using he's not, of swamping,
0: this theory yeah, about he's not a man worms. who turned into a plant he's a plant who turned into a man and what's really sad is that the planarian worm study right has now you know 25 years later been pretty much debunked but at the time, I remember reading about this because I was a serious kid, and this was right about the time that I transitioned from science into things that, you know, were fun. The Planarian worm study was an actual study where they would they would take these simple creatures and they would teach one to go through the maze, chop it up, feed it to the other creatures who would then go through the maze. Now, I believe lately they, the, the prevailing opinion is that they were somehow following a pheromone chemical trace or some such. I don't know. But at the time, it was fairly radical theory that knowledge could be passed through ingestion. Mm-hmm. And I think that is probably that moment right there is really the gestation of the swamp thing. And it's, if you look at it though, it's a really simple concept. That at the same time is a radical shift that changes everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just what, you know, it's like you say to yourself, what if he's not a man who turned into a plant, but a plant who turned into a man? And at that point, you've turned the character into something completely different. And at the end of issue 21, there's this gorgeous, gorgeous panel where uh, Sunderland realizes that Woodrow has sabotaged him. Mm -hmm. He fired Woodrew and he threatened to put him in jail. So Woodrew turned off the freezer where Swamp Thing's corpse was. And he runs and he finds the husk of the old Swamp Thing body. And he runs and he runs and he meets the new Swamp Thing. And he looks like he's made of roots and things and his eyes are blood red. And he, you know, he's trying to talk to him. And all you hear, I have read the file. And then Sunderland says something stupid and the swamp thing for the first time, the swamp thing goes BF crazy. You know, there is, there is no more Alec Holland. There's no more nothing. And at that point, what was just basically a superhero in a green leotard turns into something completely different, completely inhuman and really,
2: really fascinating and scary. Right. And, that's and and probably more importantly bigger I mean this this oh, yeah. opened up the the potential for swamp thing to to a ridiculous degree yeah the scope of the character
0: yes oh, I'm something? sorry are you still there
5: yeah 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 you, I
3: thought we uh, dropped thought, for a moment oh no, no no you were sounded like you uh, had something to say there a little bit more than just the scope of the character
0: I had a I had a beep. The scope of the character opened up and, you know, it eventually becomes something huge and shamanistic and world changing. But at this point in time, it's really kind of, you know, that, that larval state where he's finally busted out of the cocoon and you don't know what it is. And at the end of that story, the moment that really changes everything for me is when deservedly Sunderland is killed. The Swamp Thing, the hero of the book, kills this evil, corrupt old man for what he has done. And I, you know, I've read that, and I remember being kind of bothered by it a time or two, but I read it now as, you know, not as a superhero. Because obviously the Swamp Thing is not a superhero. Right. Mm-hmm. At Especially at this point in time. But if you look at that, it's justice and it's kind of you know that old school ec comics preachy justice where right. he he reaps exactly what he has sown completely literally you know he he planted this and it came up and bit him in the ass and he died and then it's not over because there's still the question of what happened to Woodrow right and
3: mm-hmm. this is where things get really interesting in this next next chapter because essentially instead of wandering around the swamp Uh, The swamp thing just goes and takes root. He just lays there and becomes one with the swamp again. And Abigail, um, one of the main characters, uh, apparently from the previous story before Moore came on, is trying to track him down, and she's so shocked over what he's become. And then Woodrow shows up, and he's like, oh, yes, I'm a friend of the swamp thing, and I'm doing some studies, and la, 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 la. He's rooted here. He's more vegetable than man. And then as we get to the end of this issue this planarian worm theory continues to the point where Woodru is cutting off parts of Mm. the swamp thing and eating him so that he can, I guess, gain more power over the, the elemental, uh, the, uh, the earth elements uh, that are out there. And that is just in itself is creepy, creepy, creepy.
0: Woodru basically wants to know what it's like to be a plant. And it's never really clear whether Woodru corrupts, the green or whether the green corrupts Woodru. But the moment when he, you know, connects with, with the plant consciousness, he immediately goes on a killing spree, Mm
5: -hmm. wipes out
0: a whole city. And there's that terrifying sequence where he's standing there with that chainsaw with like the hundred inch bar on it. Mm -hmm. And he, it looks like he's going to cut somebody in half, you know, he's going to reverse that justice. It's kind of, an extension of what Swamp Thing did in that previous issue when he killed Sunderland to some degree. Well, it's, you know, the, the, the plant has come back for revenge, but right. this plant's crazy.
3: Well, and that's what the, um, that's kind of the whole point of, um, what Woodrue was trying to say is that, you know, you humans have become an infestation. The plants don't want to put up with this anymore. Therefore I'm controlling them and telling them or giving them the opportunity to kill, 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 raising the oxygen mm. level on the planet so that everybody's going to die. And what's interesting is when we talk about, you had talked about uh, how the Swamp Thing is not a superhero. You know, up until until this point, up until chapter 24, issue 24, everything seems to be going right. And then... All of a sudden, there's Firestorm and Superman and Green Arrow and Green (laughs) Lantern. I'm like, oh, come on. You had to force this. You had to force the Justice League in on this. Oh,
5: yeah. And it's like, okay,
3: here they're going to swoop down and save the day, and Superman's going to shake hands with Swamp Thing, and then it's going to be blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't that at all. You know, the Justice League is basically stymied.
0: And that first, I think that first panel with the League really explains what it was Moore was doing, because they we don't ever see the League on their own terms. They are vaguely creepy. They're right. as creepy and as alien as Woodrow himself. And that first line, there is a house above the world I where love the that. over people gather.
3: I really, you know, just to stop from, uh, talk about the writing style here that Moore employs. I really mm. love this because it is very noir. Uh, the narration mm. is just like you would find in an old detective book. Um, that's what it reminded me of. And I just fell in love with the writing all throughout the narration part. Now, Mm -hmm. there were a couple of points where some of the dialogue moments really hurt for me. And one of the things that I've been complaining about Dan Slott's run on the amazing Spider-Man is that he keeps throwing in current cultural references in, Mm -hmm. I guess, my way of saying, aha, see what I'm doing? I'm trying to make it. You know, um, acceptable or uh, interesting to you kids? Relevant, relevant, and it's just just falls.
2: Twitter, form. you guys,
3: Twitter. And there are a couple of times in Saga the Swamp Thing where Moore does the same thing. You know, the one of the uh, uh, townspeople in Louisiana comes at the Floronic Man with uh, with a chainsaw. He goes, "Oh yes, your movies today have changed changed this into a a weapon," referring to the Evil Dead Saga. And there was another point in one of the uh, other,
0: Actually, probably earlier than that, probably the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it could have been that, too. In 84. It,
3: it just... Uh, some of it just smacked of, wow, you're really kind of grasping at relevant moments and trying to make them, you know, relevant in, in this piece. But, you know, down the road, we're reading this 20 years later, more than 20 mm-hmm. years later, and I'm just like, ugh...
2: I think that one specifically, you know, years down the road, you can read it as the Floronic Man just doesn't get out much.
3: Yeah, that could be it too. But I was just like, some <laughs> of these were just like, ugh, I can't believe you did this. But going back to the, the story arc, I you know, the swamp thing basically gets the plants to turn on uh, uh, Floronic Man basically because but, he convinces the plants or in the conversation that – if you kill off the humans, who's going to produce the carbon dioxide that the plants need to grow? And they realize that this whole cycle of life, the symbiotic relationship, is really, really important, mm-hmm. and so forth. Therefore, they cast Woodru uh, out of their out of their group.
0: Yeah, but they never answer the question of who was behind the aggression. Right. It's never clear whether Woodru being crazy caused him to do this, or whether the plants used Woodru as And I love that, you know, that little question because Abby actually asks the swamp thing. He's like, so the plants back down and he's like, yes, will your people do as much? And there's that little, you know, the preachy moment there, but it's also that seed of doubt in your head, whether Woodrow made this happen or whether Woodrow was just a tool of something, you know, something so big that killing a few hundred thousand humans wouldn't have bothered them at all. Right. I like that. You know that sense of scale. Com- excuse me, comes in really early. There's a
3: question that I have also about the character of the Swamp Thing. Was he always when, relegated prior to more coming on board, relegated to the shadows?
0: Sort of, kind of, yes. Because it it's was kinda,
3: when when the Sunderland's attack the swamp. It's like they create this big ring of light, and he's like, Oh, I can't get into the light. If only I can get into the shadow, I'll be safe. But then, as we end this first arc of the Floronic Man, you know, he's like, I can't wait to get out there and embrace the sun. And they show him standing out in full sunlight and just soaking yeah. it all in. Well, so I didn't know if there was something going on there or not. Be
0: the sun. That shadow thing was a metaphor. He was talking about how monsters like himself and Arcane were creatures, you know, designed to exist in the periphery, like Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't literally saying, I can't go in the sun. Okay. He was saying that, you know, his, his existence is basically a shadow existence. And I think that end of issue 24 is really the point where they explicitly come out and say, he's no longer in the shadows. He's, you know, he's stepping out into the sun. I think it's an intentional kind of a little character arc going into the scary, scary stuff that follows.
3: The last three issues, the second arc in this uh, volume um, introduce, you know, he's one of, he's one of the characters that I really like as far as um, um, horror characters go. And that is the, the demon Etrigan. And I kind of like you had talked before about how the swamp thing is a horror book. And this really keeps up that, that idea of there are spooky mystical things in this world. Rodrigo give us a, yeah. a a kind of a thought process rundown of what goes on in this final arc.
2: Okay, so there's there's a lot of things going on that eventually uh come together. Um this guy with uh, a red streak in his hair shows up in town and he's telling people how they're going to die and that's cool. Um simultaneously Yes. Simultaneously a an evil evil monkey um who lives Evil, in... Evil Monkey! Yep. Seems um, like
3: the uh, Powerpuff girls need to be involved. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um I don't although this monkey is not an evil genius, it's just evil.
3: <laughs> um
2: Mojo Jojo says more blood. <laughs> yep. Blood for the blood monkey. Anyway. Um so <laughs> this uh uh one of Swamp Things friends. Um, and I actually forgot her name. She's the one, she's Abigail. Arcane's daughter.
3: Yeah. Abigail,
2: Abigail, um, gets a job at a home for troubled teens, basically a, a, a an asylum for nice. children. Um, and she starts working there, meets this kid who keeps rambling about the Monkey King and had the, the Monkey King killed his parents and how you're supposed to spell things properly. Otherwise the Monkey King will kill you. Right. Um we come to find out through Jason Blood who's the guy with the red uh streak on his hair and who actually is also uh who turns into Etrigan or lets Etrigan out in a yeah. um sort of like Captain Marvelish Marvel Captain Marvelish sort of way mm-hmm. um the uh that this creature is called Kamara which is where, K-A-M-A-R-A, which is where the kid gets that his parents misspelled it while playing with a Ouija board and let him out. But really, they just accidentally summoned him and got eaten by the monkey. Um, So that all just kind of spirals out into this kind of three-way match between Swamp Thing, who gets involved through Abigail, uh Etrigan, who comes in um because he wants to stop this thing, but doesn't really care who gets hurt in the process. And then the actual monkey who is tied with uh, this one kid, he's actually like weirdly bound to him. Yeah.
3: It's it's interesting Issue about
2: 27.
3: Yeah. It's interesting about the character Etrigan because he doesn't care. He's more than willing to kill the boy uh, in, this, in this series. And yeah,
0: this is the first real take on Etrigan that wasn't Jack Kirby's original kind of, you know, superhero take this is where the the rhyming comes from and this is the point where etrigan is really first played as a as a demon there is a moment in the early pages of issue 27 that sells this whole arc for me and it sticks with me one of the quintessential swamp thing moments abby has called him for help now it it should be noted that he loves abby he's completely in love with abby this is the subtext of the whole arc yeah, And he comes to help Abby, and the Monkey King and Edrigan are tearing each other apart, and he tells her to run, and she's like, but there are those two monsters! And he's like, three monsters, and just lays into them. And that right there is the moment for me where this is very clearly no longer a superhero book. If that arc with Woodrue didn't prove it,
7: mm-hmm. then
0: this should... You know, this is the point where really Swamp Thing starts to come into his own as the center of the story. Right. It's one of the first times I can remember him being that focal point. But something else important uh, of of Vertigo note, on that opposite page, you see Matt Cable crashing his car. Yep. Mm -hmm. Matt is Abigail's husband. Right. Yeah. When Matt dies, he becomes Morpheus's raven in The Sandman. Matthew the Raven— is um, this man Matt Cable? And if you actually read Sandman carefully, the Burma Shave joke: the man can, uh, the knight can make a man more brave, but not more sober. Right. Uh, Etrigan, not Etrican, What's his name? Uh, Morpheus. Lucian. Oh. Lucian the librarian actually quotes uh, that line to Matt Cable when they first meet, or Matthew the Raven. So this is another thing where you know bits and pieces of huge 25 years of lore come up in just this arc. Interesting.
3: Well, yep. I'm curious too. um, well, first of all, going back again to the writing, I was, mm-hmm. I was expecting and I was waiting for gone, gone, the form of man, rise, the demonetric. And I was waiting for that. And it, we didn't get to see that it's, uh, it's not until the end of that, uh, arc where Abigail stumbles upon Jason blood and is like, Oh, you're the demon. Oh, this all makes sense now. Da, da, da. So we don't ever get to see Jason blood turn into the demon we see Jason Blood and we see the demon and then it's not until the end that we get to put the two together. So I kind of missed that part. The other thing that was kind of confusing mm-hmm. too and maybe this plays it up when Abigail's husband does die, he's having the uh the vision of this little fly thing saying, "Oh, I'm going go to go inhabit your brain. I'm going to go inhabit your brain for a while and everything will be fine." What is that creature? I mean, this is something that probably plays out in story arcs down well, the line.
2: I can tell you what it is, but it's a spoiler. So That's if you want I- to I can but- but I mean there is there is a, a something that happens before that we didn't know. This this guy had powers. He had like illusion yeah. powers before right. this had, arc, right? Yeah, he had powers
0: because of some sort of government experiment. Do you remember in that first issue where the swamp thing finds the wreckage of mm-hmm. the ship mm-hmm. Uh, Abby's uncle Anton? Right. Mm-hmm. Uncle Anton is dead. Uncle Anton went to hell. Uncle Anton became a demon. Uncle Anton came back. And it's Uncle Anton that's actually inhabiting Matt's brain.
3: Uh, as the fly. So Matt. Okay.
0: Right. Matt dies. And then that that demon or that fly creature is actually Anton Arcane returning from the beyond. Now that's
3: going to be kind of creepy.
0: And, yeah, I've totally ruined the next arc of the book for you. No, right no, no. There. I mean because just because that, if they're supposed the to be carrying deal. on
3: if they're supposed to be carrying on a husband wife relationship and at the same time it's an yeah. uncle niece relationship, ew.
0: Well, but you know there were a couple remember of Remember what I said. I know. Alec is completely in love with Abby. I know. The Okay, so that next arc may be more complicated. That's all I'm saying.
3: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Matthew, because um you know, I found this this book interesting enough to where I might want to see what comes up next.
0: I'd, I'd definitely be down for getting that next volume. and you know, We've been doing it with Preacher. I don't see why we can't do it with this, which yeah, is we kind it of with like Starman, you know,
3: too, so we might as the, the well. The pre-Preacher. So do you think yeah. you want to cover all of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, goes, or, is, or is there a part where it goes really to crap?
0: Alan Moore's Swamp Thing doesn't go to crap. Uh, Rick Vietje's Swamp Thing doesn't go to crap. It really takes about four writers down the line before it goes to crap in my opinion okay i would say that if you know at the very least i think we should do the next arc because actually the next two arcs i would like to do but the next one especially simply because there's an issue called the rights of spring that Mm. we i really want to go over with you guys
3: okay well, okay, and does that have to do with uh, there's a portion in this book where right at the end, where the swamp thing is talking about autumn is coming, and Abigail is like, "Oh, your colors are changing." Is this the same thing with spring as well?
0: Sort of, yeah. The autumn issue, um, I believe, what actually ends up happening there's there's an issue that is a tribute to Pogo Possum. Oh, okay. That came out. I think right after Art Kelly died or around the time that Art Kelly died but yeah the rights of spring come in issue I think 33 so five issues down the line from where this book ends excellent
3: well guys where um maybe we should just wrap it up there on uh, this episode i, I yeah. mean uh, final thoughts rodrigo
2: um this uh, you know, Saga of the Swamp thing is pretty high concept and kind of crazy, but it didn't turn me off the way that Sandman did. Probably because it, you know, literally st- starts at ground level and then works its way up, whereas Sandman you kind of have to parachute down into. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it, it really brought to the fore how, you know, I kind of had this idea that recently writers have been, you know, taking old characters and deconstructing them and reconstructing them, but really for most of, it seems for most of comics history now it's getting to the point where that deconstruction of old characters is just something that gets done every once in a while.
3: Okay. Yeah. So do you recommend uh, somebody buy it? Rent it? Or skip
2: it? I definitely, you know it, it is, like it's not your straight up superhero fair. It's not, it's definitely not light reading. You have to I think you kind of have to be in the mood to get into this. So definitely find it in your library or at your borders before they finally shut down the gate. Um, <laughs> and, you know, give it a look and see if you want to pick it up. But I would recommend it. I, I think it's a good read. Matthew.
0: My advice with this series is if you've ever said to yourself, who the hell does Alan Moore think he is? Or why do people think that Alan Moore is God's gift to writing? Or, you know, what the hell is this, you know, this vertigo thing about? You know, where is this all coming from? If you've ever asked yourself what comics were like before comics were like what they're like, this is that transition point. This is really the series that went from The paradigm that Rodrigo likes to mock me when I have the 80s books with the wall of text and the it is Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. He is also spectacular. And sometimes he comes to help us into today's. It takes 54 pages to have a conversation between Luke Cage and his wife.
3: You know what? That's that is one thing that I really liked about this book is, you know, each single issue is 22 pages of story. And yet I'm reading through this and going wow, this has to be the end. You know, you get to a really dramatic line that said, and you're, okay, that's the end of this issue. And then there's 10 more pages of story, and it's like, wow, Alan Moore is telling a really tight story in short pages.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always say buy this, because if you like comics, not superheroes, not DC, not, you know, whatever it is, if you're interested in the art form that is comics, this is one of the series that... You want to read as a historian, but also as just somebody who wants to be entertained. If you just want to sit back and have an experience where somebody is telling a great story and it's fascinating and super awesome, this is definitely a book to get. And I highly recommend it to everybody.
3: I, I totally agree with you, Matthew. I had not read this stuff before. You know, a green guy walking around. I think I had been probably ruined by that movie uh, when it came out. So I had no interest in reading the book. But after you recommended it, and we got it here in the Major Spoilers HQ, and I read it, read it in an afternoon, and man, what a great book this is. Excellent characters, just the right touch of horror without going into the grotesque. Um, interesting character development, more when he was young and before he totally flipped out. Um
0: Plus, Rodrigo, Rodrigo and I have this great pitch for Vertigo to relaunch him as kind of an edgy rapper character. Yes. (laughs) DJ Swampy T. DJ DJ Swampy Swampy T. And we're going to bring Adrigan in as the Demon Fresh Prince. So,
3: so throw me down some lines of the, uh, of the Swampy T.
0: Wiki, Wiki, the swamp is not whack. No. But you must get back, biatch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Rodrigo, I'm sure yep. you've got some... Be gone. More.
2: That's right, some etrigan jams. Be gone, be gone, this place so funky. Arise now, my hellish honky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Copyright major spoilers. And it's a natural sale, baby, right there.
3: Yes, it is. I say we... Uh, Crib some Etrigan uh, images and slap that up there on the site and make a million bucks. <laughs> uh, this is such a wonderful book. I just say pick it up. And if you don't like it, you know what? You can sell it to somebody who will like it uh, and probably make your money sure. back. All right, everybody. That is it for this Absolutely. week's show. If you, um, if you would uh, do, uh, do us a favor, head over to the Major Spoilers website. Check out some of the articles. Check out our community and forums and a bunch of other things. Next week we're going to be back and we're going to talk about Oko. The Cycle of Water from uh, Archaea. I uh,
0: love him on E-Man when he does the wrong spell.
4: Oh, <laughs> no, that E-Man! Is,
3: that is Orko. Uh, that is not who we're doing oh. next week, Matthew. So uh, you better crack well, open that hardcover now. Well, I am no longer excited about next
2: week's <laughs> <three> train paperback. Crack
3: <laughs> open that hardcover well, now.
2: I, I was going to say, I was, I was a little concerned that she was going to break us up. But I guess that's a different <laughs> chick.
0: Yeah, that's Oko Yono. <laughs>
3: Nope. Oh, everybody, we're going to be talking about Oko next week. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future
1: shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash spoilers, and on MySpace at myspace.com slash spoilers.
4: What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a gangsta throwing soldier what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, wow whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This has been a Major Spoilers podcast, copyright 2011. Goodbye, see you on the next show.